Genesis chapter 17. We got through the first eight verses last week. We're going to look at fewer verses this week. Just verses uh, 9, 9 through 14. And we're looking specifically at this, this sign, this outward sign or reminder of the covenant that God gives to Abraham pertaining all of the males uh, that will make up the household of Israel. And uh, just by way of some very basic uh, remarks, do keep in mind that one specific aspect of the promise given to Abraham is that his offspring would be multiplied, that his offspring uh, would increase. And God had called Abram and told him to go to a place that he would show him. But God specifically called Abram and his family out. And from Abram will come the entire nation of Israel. But all of the promises, the covenant was given to Abram. Who is now at this point in the story, Abraham. And so this sign of circumcision, just by way of basic straightforward remarks here. This this sign of circumcision, keep in mind that there was a promise of offspring. There was an increase of offspring there. And when you think about, well, why would God choose this as the, the outward mark, the outward reminder? And, and why would it be for the males and the household of Israel? But one of the commentaries that I read also made this fairly simple remark that I think was, was helpful. Um, when God sanctifies for Himself a people, when God sets apart a people for Himself, uh, it's kind of as if He is... He is cutting away that people from the rest of the world. He is cutting them away, separating them from the rest of the world. But also, on the flip side of that coin, there is a specific instruction here that if any male fail to be obedient to this aspect of the covenant, if any male in the household of Israel fails to submit to this law of circumcision, then he is to be cut off from the people and cut off it will be acknowledged that he is not a recipient of the covenant. He is not a child of the covenant. And so, in a helpful thought there as well. But let's read these few verses here as God gives this sign of circumcision to Abraham. Verse 19, or verse 9 of Genesis 17. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from the people. He has broken my covenant. The main thing really that I want to bring out this morning is, is simply one of the aspects that we that we talked about a bit last week. But I want us to consider once more, and I really just kind of want us to, to sit here 
on this topic today because, as I mentioned last week, I, sadly, I do believe that many of us and many outside of this particular church body that so often we just become calloused and numb to the fact that we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves the children of God. And so this this text here is, is God giving this fleshly sign or an outward sign to Abraham. This will be a reminder. This will be in your flesh a reminder that you are my covenant people. But again, to just consider that God Himself, God Almighty, as we read last week in the first eight verses, the Holy God of all creation, would stoop low to enter into covenant, to make a covenant with sinful man. And not only that, in, in giving this outward fleshly sign of this covenant, would, would make sure that there was this reminder, that there was this process that they went through, that this was, there was this setting apart of, of all of the, the male children on the eighth day, and that this would be a perpetual thing, that all the, all the days, uh, all after, after the offspring is multiplied, that their offspring and their offspring after them, that this would be a perpetual sign of the covenant as a reminder that we are the people of God. We are a people who have been designated, who have been set apart, who have been sanctified, consecrated, set apart from the, from the rest of the world. Of all of the people on the earth, God has said, you will be my people. And again, to just consider that thought even a bit further, if we remind ourselves Abram was literally a nobody. It wasn't like Abram was, was out in his homeland building these altars to God and, and, and just had this, this family lineage or this family heritage of being God-fearers and God-worshippers. No, we, we know from elsewhere in Scripture that he was the son of pagan parents. And yet God in His mercy and in His grace called Abram out of his homeland. Gives the promises to Abram and says, you will go to a land that I will show you. And from this one man, the entire lineage, the entire line of the Israelite nation Comes from Him. And ultimately we know that Christ comes from that ethnic line. And Christ Himself is the very fulfillment of the promise from Genesis 3. That the head of the serpent would be crushed. And so all of this ultimately taking place because God keeps His word. Because God is the faithful God. Because God is a God who saves and redeems and who sets His steadfast love upon His people. But think about what great lengths He goes to to show and to and display and to confirm His promises 
and his covenant. There's been, a, there's been, I think, three times up to this point. This is the third time that God is reiterating and, and confirming these promises to Abraham. You will be the father of a great nation. And you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I will, will give you a land. We know in one of those, in Genesis 15, he, he says your people uh, will be enslaved in a land not their own for 400 years, but later I will bring them out of that land and will lead them to the promised land. But there is a land that is promised. In Genesis 17, the focus on I will multiply your offspring. But this is the third time. And now there will be a, a physical reminder you are my people. And really, it's just that simple thought that I want us to just, like I said earlier, just kind of sit on it and ponder it and think about it. That the God of all creation, the fall in the garden has happened. The destruction of the world by a flood because of the wickedness and the evil and the sinfulness of mankind has happened. The Tower of Babel, which we looked at the fact that the Tower of Babel was actually a great rebellion. Because after the flood, God gave a promise that never again would He destroy the world with water, destroy the world with a flood. And there's a specific instruction to, to fill the earth. But instead, the people say, let us all stay here in this one spot and make a great city and build this great tower. It's direct rebellion against God. So the Tower of Babel debacle has happened. The languages have been confused. The people have been dispersed over the earth. And even after all of that, God says, Abram, I'll make you the father of a great nation. They'll be my people. And in you, Shall all the nations of the earth be blessed? God makes for Himself, sets apart for Himself, a people for His own possession. And that people is made up of, because it was the only, it's the only thing walking the earth. God's people are made up of sinful wretches that He has redeemed. And that he has called his own. And I beg of you. As I did last week. But today we're, again. Obviously we're going to consider it a little bit more directly. But I beg of you. Ask yourself the question. Search, search, search your heart. Pray. Ask God to reveal. If you have become. Callous or even uncaring or just negligent with the fact that you claim to be a child of God. And if we have lost the joy of that, if we have lost the magnitude of that, if we have lost the humility of what it is to be able to confidently claim, I'm a child of God then my prayer is that today, as we consider these things, and as we consider that specifically, that a holy God, 
stooped low and entered into covenant and gave an everlasting covenant with sinful man. I pray that today our hearts would be humbled and that we would be that we would be brought low once more and that we would marvel at the magnitude of the grace and the love and the mercy of God who has saved us. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll unpack these verses just a bit more. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for salvation. God, we thank you and we praise you that you are God. And you are the one true God that has called out for himself a people for his own possession. Your covenant children. We praise you for the promises given to Abraham that we today as your people are the recipients of because through faith we are the offspring of Abraham. God, we praise you that you are faithful to your word, that you are faithful to save. We praise you for your steadfast love which endures forever. Pray now that you would bless this time of our study, that we would be strengthened and edified in a faith, and that you would be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> just a couple of things that I wrote down as I was just thinking through this text and, and trying to prepare this admittedly rather simplistic approach to this sermon. The very fact that that God wants His people, therefore God wants us to know we are His. God doesn't, God doesn't want His people to, to, to be in the dark or on the fence. Like, well, I think that I'm a child of God. I think that I'm His. I consider myself to be in covenant with God. I, I consider myself to be a recipient of grace, but I don't, I don't really know if I'm like, Part of the family of God. God does not desire for us to be 80% there. God doesn't desire for us to be, well, some days I feel like it, some days I don't, so I don't really know, right? God desires for us to know that we are His people. And it should bring us that much joy. I'm sidetracked now for a good reason. Don't, for a good reason. This is a good reminder. It is a blessing. One, two, three, four, five. One's asleep in the back. Six. Am I missing any? Six under what? Eight years old? How old is he? He's six? So that would be six under six. That's a blessing. And it's a blessing that families are worshiping together. In the house of the Lord. So. God wants his people to know. To know. That we are his. And here. In this command to Abram. He says. This will be for you. All of the males in your household. They will be circumcised. 
When God adds more offspring because that's part of the promise, I will multiply your offspring. When that offspring is getting multiplied, the male children circumcise on the eighth day. This will be a sign. This will be the covenant in your flesh. Reminder. We are the covenant people of God. Well, what does that mean? It means that God has given us specific promises. It means that God has given us His Word. That certain certain promises will be fulfilled. Certain things will come to pass because we are His people. Nobody else on the earth. Listen. No, no other souls on earth can lay claim to the promises of God. Do you understand that? When people that are outside of the body of Christ, when they read these promises given to Abraham, they literally mean nothing for them. It's just words on a page. When they read the promises of God all throughout the Scriptures, they don't mean anything. But for us who claim to be the children of God, they ought to mean everything. And God wants us to know that He has called us and He has chosen us as His own possession. Now here in Genesis, we read of, the, of a physical circumcision and I'm sure that many of you are thinking, well, but this is the New Testament church and we're not, it's not like, oh, we still know that we're the people of God through circumcision or through the law, like keeping the law or anything. And you're absolutely right. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we get there, please don't overlook this simple fact. God wants His people to know you are mine. I have chosen you. And when any of us pauses to consider that the Almighty God of all creation in His grace and in His mercy would choose to save any of us, it ought to humble us, it ought to crush us in the best way possible. And from that point forward, our entire lives should be spent and exhausted in glorifying the one who saved us and called us to himself. Because we were nothing more than sinful wretches who deserved the judgment and the wrath of God. But instead, we received his mercy and his grace and we entered into his covenant promises. It's also a very firm Reminder, when you think about the, the phrase that if, if God wants us to know that you are mine, don't miss that very simple reminder. Our lives are not our own. 
We know as New Testament believers, we were bought with a price and the price was the blood of the Son. You're not, you don't have the authority over your own life. And it's, it's staggering how many professing Christians that that rubs them the wrong way. How many professing Christians would say, I take issue with that statement. If you belong to God, even the people who don't belong to God uh, in a spiritual sense, but if you, if you claim to be a child of God, if I claim to be a child of God and say, I belong to Him, then we ought to be able to joyfully share that I don't have the authority over my own life. And praise God. Praise God I'm not in control. Praise God that I am not my own. And it is, I'll say it once more, it is staggering how many professing Christians will not submit to that truth. What does this outward sign of circumcision accomplish? In a salvific sense, in a spiritual sense, nothing. God did not give this sign of circumcision so that Abraham and his offspring would become his people. Now, please hear what I'm saying in this. God did not give this sign to Abraham so that Abraham and his offspring would become his people. God gave this sign to Abraham and his offspring because they were his people. Big difference. Huge difference. This was not so that Abraham would think, okay, well, if I, so I've got to make sure that I'm circumcised, all the males circumcised, every male born after this is circumcised, or else, or else, God's not going to love me anymore. God's not going to keep his word. No. This sign was given after the promises had already been confirmed. After God had already made the covenant, sealed the covenant with himself because Abraham was off in a stupor. And God cut that covenant, sealed that covenant with himself. The sign of circumcision was given after as a reminder, as a, as a covenant in the flesh, you are mine. So the sign of, circum, the sign of circumcision was not given in order that Abram would become a child of God or be the chosen one of God. The sign of circumcision was given because Abram and his offspring already were the children of God. Already did belong to God. Say, Caleb, why are you making such an important distinction today? We're not even under the law anymore. So you've already spent two or three minutes talking about something that, I mean, we're not even under the law. So why are you trying to make that distinction now? Because it's still the same in this regard. We do not come to Scripture and read the commandments of God, the teachings of Jesus and say, well, I'm going to obey all of these things so that I can become a Christian. Obedience does not lead to salvation. The only, the only obedience that matters, to put it simply, the only obedience that matters, meaning the only obedience that, that bears weight, Spiritually, 
is obedience that comes from the fact that we understand we have already been saved through the finished work of redemption through Jesus Christ. We are saved through faith. We have repented. We believe. We are saved. Therefore, we come to the Word of God and we see it for what it truly is. Truth. God's truth. God's revelation of Himself to His people. The story of redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. We see it for what it really is. And we say, my God and my Savior has given me His Word. He has saved my soul. I'd be an absolute fool not to be obedient. And I will be obedient to God and I will glorify Him the rest of the days of my life because He has saved me. Not... I will be obedient to God. I will do what I'm told. I will follow all the rules so that I will be a child of God. And let me go one step further with that. If that is your mindset, if you have ever gotten caught up in that mindset or if you're still trapped in that mindset that you say, I'm trying to be the best person I can be. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to do what's right. And I'm doing what I read in Scripture. And I'm trying to be obedient to the Scripture so that I will be a Christian. You will never be a Christian because of that. You will never be right with God because of your obedience. Hear me. You and I could never be made right with God because of obedience. Our own obedience. But when we consider the obedience and the perfect finished work of Christ, now we're getting somewhere. That is the only thing that saves. Christ His perfect obedience, His finished work of redemption. Our obedience does not save us. It could never save us. But the perfect obedience of the Son has saved us. That's the distinction. That's why I've spent so much time already up to this point talking about it. And again, if you... If you are caught up in that mindset, if you're currently there, if, if, if you're here today because you say, well, I've always kind of been in church, but, you know, something just struck. I, I've heard people share this testimony. I got to a point where it just kind of hit me. I wasn't really living right. I wasn't really committed to the Lord like I ought to be. So uh, I started going to church. I started trying to do what's right. I started trying to live a better life because I decided it was time for me. Hey, it was time for me to be a Christian. If that is all there is to that testimony, then the sad truth is whatever individual is sharing that testimony, they are probably still not saved. Because they're trying to earn their status as a Christian through their obedience and through their works. What did the outward sign of circumcision accomplish? Salvifically, spiritually, nothing. What does outward conformity to Scripture accomplish? What does outward conformity to Scripture accomplish? Salvifically, spiritually, nothing. Still to this day. If you can make yourself look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, 
Live like a Christian in just in an outward sense. What have you accomplished for your soul? Nothing. Zilch. Nada. You say, but I try to do what's right. I try to live according to the word. But you're doing it in your own strength. And your own strength will get you nowhere. But an eternity separated from God in a sinner's hell. Your best can't save you. My best can't save me. Only the righteousness of Christ. Only the obedience of Christ. So again, the outward sign. Outward sign of circumcision because they had already been declared the people of God. Our obedience to Scripture. Our our outward conformity to the extent. When I say outward conformity, I'm not just talking about the clothes that you wear. The way we live our lives. The integrity in which we seek to walk. The honesty in which we seek to walk. We try to walk in a manner uh, according to the word. We try to walk in the light as he is in the light. Our outward conformity to scripture. To Christ. Either. Either. We have an outward showing. An outward testimony. Because. We understand that we've already been declared righteous through Christ. We've already been saved through Christ. And that is why we're obedient. That is why we're outwardly conformed to Scripture. But if we seek to be outwardly conformed and we haven't been born again, we have not placed our faith in the finished work of Christ. If we are obedient and outwardly conformed because we're trying to be a Christian, you never will be one. You're looking in the wrong place. You will not find salvation within yourself. You will not find salvation within your obedience. You will not find salvation within your works, within your efforts. You will only find salvation in Jesus Christ. And let me say this as a closing remark on that topic. Only then will you be able to joyfully obey. Because if... If we were all honest, if we look back to a time in our lives where we were when we where we were seeking to be obedient out of obligation, when we were trying to put on a good show of being a Christian, but our hearts did not yet long for God, we were miserable. We might not have ever told anybody about it. We might not have ever brought it up, but in our hearts and in our minds, we probably thought about it often. I'd rather not live this way. It would be a whole lot easier if I could just forget all this stuff. The only way to joyfully be obedient to God, the only way to joyfully serve the King, is if your heart truly knows Him. If you have been born again. If you have received that heart of flesh and it has replaced that heart of stone that you once had. And with that being said, let's look at the circumcision of the heart. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Everything in the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of things to come. Everything in the Old Testament ultimately points to Christ and the realities of redemption and salvation that come through Christ. Circumcision is, is, is really no different here. 
What does outward physical circumcision accomplish spiritually? Nothing. But is there a form of circumcision that does accomplish much spiritually and salvifically? Yes, and it would be the circumcision of the heart. Romans chapter 2 verse 25. Paul says, Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So just a real quick test here. By raise of hand. This will, this will let me know who's still awake too. By raise of hand. If you have ever even so much as told a little white lie, raise your hand. Every single one of us has broke the law. You know what that means? Spiritually speaking, uncircumcised. means you're guilty. If you're uncircumcised, you're outside of the covenant of God. You know what that means? You don't belong to Him. So just by that one simple test, you and I, I had my hand raised too, not just for example, just because me too. Circumcision is good as long as you obey the law, but if you don't obey the law, if you break the law, you're uncircumcised. You know what that means? You're outside of the covenant family of God. Every single one of us raised our hand. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law... Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So then the adverse of that. But, verse 27. He who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Now, this is Paul speaking to uh, Jewish people about a specific topic here. Salvation is not just for ethnic Israel and, and comparing circumcision with uncircumcision, but... For our case here today, I want to focus on this last little thing that Paul wrote here. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Well, that would have been a shocker to the Jewish people. There would have been a little bit of confusion there. And granted, there was a lot of confusion there. Even many many years into the early church, there was a sect called the Judaizers. Who was still trying to convince people. If, okay, you've got faith in Jesus, but you still got to be circumcised. you still got to follow the law. Because that was a sign. That's the sign that you're really in covenant with God. So there was still a lot of confusion there. Into the early church. But notice what Paul said here plainly and clearly. Now, he's talking to a Jewish audience, but let me explain this in a way. This would be like me telling you about... Who is a part of your family and who isn't a part of your family? And if you yourselves are actually a part of the family that you think you belong to. You claim to be the children of God. You point to these outward things. You say that you're the children of God. You've got the law. You've got the sign of circumcision. You've got this. But let me explain something to you. You say that because you're a Jew, you are the covenant child of God. Well, let me explain something to you. A Jew is not one... Outwardly. Stop looking at the outward appearance. Stop looking at the outward fleshly marks of the covenant. Because now what is, what is fully revealed is that a Jew, a child of Abraham, is not one outwardly. You say, Caleb, why are you bringing that up? We're not, we're not of Jewish descent. 
I've repeated this often throughout this series. I do believe it's very important for us to grasp this. If you are of the faith, you are a child of Abraham. If you are of the faith, you are a true Jew. You get that. We must grasp that. God has only and ever had one people, true Israel. And true Israel has never been ethnic. True Israel is spiritual. So a Jew, therefore, is not one who is one outwardly. A Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. Well, there's the, you know, that would be one of those like mic drop moments, right? Paul's talking to a Jew, Jewish audience. He gets to the, to the end of this point here. He says, circumcision is inward, not outward. Circumcision is of the heart. I'm just going to let that one simmer, right? Uh, y'all just think about that for a second. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Listen, if you follow all the rules, if you follow the circumcision, if you keep all of the law, you know what you would be able to do? Which granted, I hate to burst your bubble. You can't keep the law perfectly and you've already confessed that you haven't kept the law perfectly because all of y'all raised your hand earlier. But if we could, we'd be able to put praise in ourselves. Well, I, I did it. I'm right with God because I kept the sign of circumcision. I kept the law. I kept the letter. I did all of the stuff that I was supposed to do. I have made myself right with God. Paul says, circumcision is inward. It's of the heart and it's by the Spirit. His praise is not from man, but from God. The reason that you and I exist as spiritual, true Israel today, the reason that you and I exist as the covenant children of God today is because it was His work that has saved us. It was His Spirit, third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, circumcised our hearts, washed us in the regeneration of the Spirit, and we were raised up to new life. Therefore, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Abraham didn't exist as an Israelite until God made him an Israelite. Abram was not born an ethnic Jew. The entire Jewish nation started with him. If God did not say exist, Abram would not have existed as a Jew. The entire nation of Israel wouldn't have existed. Romans chapter 4, God who calls into existence things that don't exist. Our existence as a Christian, or even our physical existence, but more specific, our existence as a Christian is not our own doing. It's not because of anything that we did or that we wrought. It is the work of God. So let all of the praise and all of the glory be to God. Circumcision of the heart. You would say, well, that's almost like having a new heart, right? And I would say, yes, it's exactly like having a new heart. In the book of Ezekiel, we read about receiving a new heart, being raised up. But go to John 3, if you will. We're not going to go to John 3.16. We're going to go above John 3.16. 
<clears throat> or depending on how your Bible is laid out, maybe it's to the left of John 3.16. Verse 5. John 3, verse 5. Jesus and Nicodemus talking. Actually, verse 3. I apologize. Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And then Romans 8 we see that the new birth is brought about by the Spirit of God and it's like the wind. You can't control the wind. You have no authority over the wind. But you know that it's there. You see the effects of the wind. We don't control the Holy Spirit. We don't have authority over the Holy Spirit. But we know He is there. We know He is at work because we see the effects of the new birth in people who come to faith. We see the effects of sanctification and so on and so forth after the new birth. We know that the Spirit is at work and we know that the Spirit brings about that new birth. Birth in Romans chapter eight. <clears throat> starting in verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you. So then brothers. We are debtors not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh. You will die. Circumcision a sign of the flesh. If we're focused on the flesh. If we're focused on only on the outward things. You will die. You, you will uh, spiritually remain dead. Remain under the wrath of God. And will have eternal death. But if by the spirit. You put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So if, if we are truly able to cry out, Abba, Father, it is because of the Spirit's work within us. And the Spirit, the Spirit of God testifies within us that we are His children. And so it is still the same. God desires for His children to know we are His. And He does that through the new birth. Through drawing us to Christ. Through raising us up to new life in Christ. By grace. Through faith we are saved. It's not our own doing. None of us can boast. And the Spirit doesn't just wash us in regeneration and raise us up. The Spirit indwells us and the Spirit testifies within us. We are His. And to put this very plainly. Galatians chapter 3.
starting in verse 19. Uh, start in verse 21. Start in verse 21. <clears throat> Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we no longer are under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. How do we know we belong to God? How do we know we are the covenant people of God? Do you possess faith? That faith was granted to you by grace. The grace of God. Bringing you to faith in Jesus Christ. Granting you that believing faith. And that faith testifies. The Spirit of God working within us. We are His children. We are His people. And if we belong to Christ. Then we are Abraham's offspring. And we are heirs according to promise. God desires for His people to know whose we are. We are His. The point of this text, I hope that nobody looks at Genesis 17 and says, oh, well, there's the, we've got to follow the rules. We've got to obey all of these things. That's how we know that we're the people of God. No. Abraham was justified by faith. We can only be justified by faith. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant that was a reminder you are the people of God. You are mine. The reminder is this. We must not focus on outward conformity. We, not mu we must not focus on outward obedience. That is not from the heart. That is not from a place of faith. And we also remind ourselves. Prayerfully I hope that we can joyfully remind ourselves of this and that our hearts would truly leap with exaltation and worship that the promises given to Abram that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him that the people of Israel tr true Israel now speaking of true Israel that we would have a land that is our own the new heavens and the new earth that we would be called the children of God that we would be called the sons of God if you are of the faith, you're Abraham's offspring and heirs to the promises of God through faith. And so if you're here this morning, you say, well, that's that's me. I'm not saying it with any arrogance or any pomp. I'm saying it out of humility. That's me. I'm a child of God. And then rejoice and give thanks to God who has saved you.
But if you're here today and you say, I'm not, I'm not a part of the family of God. I, I'm, I'm outside of the camp. I'm not a covenant child of God. But in hearing these testimonies, I something within me resonates and I say, this, this is true. This is a true testimony that has been given. This is the truth that has been presented today. Then the call is, is simple and straightforward. Repent and believe. All who believe will be saved. All who turn to Christ in repentance and faith will find Him to be a perfect Savior. Believe today. And rejoice in God that He has brought you to a place of conviction and understanding and repentance so that you may now know you are His. And He has made that known to you today. Thank you as always for your attentiveness. I pray that we have been blessed and encouraged by the preaching and the study and the teaching of the Word of God. Let's close in a word of prayer.